Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Egberto is your host. Thank you so kind for being a part of the show. Welcome aboard, everybody that's in the house right now. We have Melanie Keelan. Welcome from Barcelona, Spain. We also have Eric Hayes from Kingwood, Texas. We have Paul Fleming from Atlanta, Georgia. Bridge MCP from Upstate New York. And AVQ from Brooklyn, New York. In the house as well is... If I missed you, if I missed you, you know I love you and you know I will find you and I will say, Hola, como estas? Paul Fleming says, Clarence Thomas ruled in favor of Citizens United. Harlan Crow and his family's political contributions then went up by 862%. Then we later find out Thomas let Crow take him on lavish trips by his mom's home and help fund his wife's conservative nonprofit. I see how this works. The Supreme Court is for sale. Yes, the Supreme Court is for sale. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Paul uh, Eric says, please remember on 9-11 uh, and 2,997 people killed and over 6,000 injured on that day 27 years ago. We honor their sacrifice for our country and pray peace and comfort for all families impacted. We hope and pray for the spirit and unity of our country that emerged after 9-11. I had an interesting conversation with one of our listeners this morning who was completely upset that I left, that I didn't mention 9-11. And I think he wanted me to apologize for not mentioning 9-11. All of us think 9-11 was a tragedy. All of us are very, very sad that 9-11 occurs. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think I am... I'm tired, really. I, I, I am tired of. Uh, let me see how to put this in the right context so that it's not taken wrongly. 9/11 was a major tragedy. We lost almost 3,000 American lives. I hated. These were innocent people that died. Innocent people that died that had nothing to do with all the machinations that go that go go around in the world that causes this. But in the process of all of this occurring, we have all this terminology, and this is what I explained to the person in the letter that I replied to him. We honor you for your service, but we don't serve you. We, 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 uh, we thank you for your sacrifice of the 3,000 that, that perished in that, but we do nothing to change the conditions that created 9-11. We, we, we look at what occurred in 9-11 and we justifiably show the tragedy. We show the tragedy. But forgotten. Remember, uh, and let me just tell a little bit about where I'm from because uh, should I show the letter? I'm going to write a blog about the letter, but I'm not going to do it right now. But my concern is this, right? I want to be able to show that measured response and Understand that those, those people who died on 9-11, they were not sacrifices. They were not sacrificed. They were a result of a terrorist act and they were a result of much other things as well. We have to not, they didn't ask to be, uh, to be martyrs. They didn't ask to be heroes. They just wanted to go to work in a safe place. That's what they wanted. And the political system have turned, has turned this event into something that it should never have turned into. We use this event to, throw, to, to invade Iraq. We use this event to create a, 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 a police state with the Defense Act. 
we we use this one event. Those 3,000 people died because of a terrorist attack, but we monopolize on that event to do a lot of other things that we should not have done. And this morning, I didn't want to get into all of that on the show in the morning. I didn't want to do that. But there was one particular listener who wanted to insult me for not talking about 9-11 this morning as if I made a sacred mistake. And what I wanted to tell him, and not what I wanted to tell him, what I told him in the email, and I'll probably create a substack about this. I told him in the email, those precious lives that were lost on 9-11, it's a terrible thing. But how many of us cry? How many of us show the same empathy? I'm from Central America, Panama. When George Bush wanted to get one person Manuel Antonio Noriega. George Bush came into Panama that doesn't have an air force, that doesn't have a real army, we have a defense force. And he came in with gunships. He came in with the stealth fighter. He came in with all these things to test in Panama. And he leveled Chorrillo. Chorrillo is a, a suburb, a very poor suburb of Panama City where the, the Cuartel Nacional, where the, the headquarters of Noriega was. And what he did is they leveled, they leveled everything in that area. They had the C-130s blow Everything up along with the stealth fighter, along with all these things came into Panama. And just wiped that whole 12, 13 blocks out. But 10,000 people live in those tenements that, that you have there. And nobody said anything. Those lives were expendable. Those lives were expendable. And we see this sort of behavior over and over again. And I asked the person that, that wrote me that note this morning. I said, I said, suppose, suppose the families of 10 of those people wanted rich, the same retribution that George Bush, his son now, wanted on 9-11. And after 9-11, George Bush went and wiped out hundreds of thousands in Iraq for something they had nothing to do. Nothing. So I am not despising, dispelling, or doing anything against my brothers and sisters who died in those towers. But you know, hundreds of thousands of lives of others, not done by terrorists. In other words, they weren't, these weren't inflicted by terrorists. It occurred as collateral damage to our bombing. From Trump, uh, Biden, Obama, Bush 1, Bush 2, our bombs 
kill and maim all over the world. Hundreds at one time. Tens and dozens at one time. What I'm trying to say is we need a paradigm shift in... We need a paradigm shift. And we need to stop having these false... Uh, I thank you for your service. These were... These were... Uh, thank you for your sacrifice. The people in those two buildings were not sacrificial lambs. They were not sacrificed. Stop saying that. Our policies are responsible for their that action. They weren't killed. Those terrorists were terrible. Those innocent people did not de 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 decide to die. They didn't say, I am going to make myself a sacrificial lamb on 9-11. They never said that. They never offered themselves up for that. They never offered themselves to serve as a military who went out there and did something. Okay? So please, let's feel the pain of the parents, of the, the relatives... Of those who died on 9-11. But if you really want to do something positive about 9-11. We have to change our policies that create the angst. That create these that create these animals that do these things. And the reason in my email to the reply on that person. That I went ahead and brought up Panama as an incident. Is I wanted something that I could touch. And say. And ask if Amer if 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 let's 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 use any country if China came into America to extract somebody doing something bad. Well, let's not use China. Let's use France. If France came for a, a mission like what? Some of these Republicans are saying we should do in Mexico. In other words, some of these Republicans are saying, let's send commandos into Mexico and get those, those guys who are sending fentanyl over here. That's what some of our Republicans are saying. Send troops, send special forces into Mexico. And you know, uh, or anybody can tell you that a lot of Innocent people die in these, in these operations like they did in Panama that nobody cared about in the United States. When they, when they were trying to find Noriega, they killed thousands of Panamanians to get Noriega. Suppose one of those people wanted revenge like Bush wanted revenge for 9-11. Please. Now, what happens when our commandos go to Mexico... And start shooting up a whole lot of people, including innocent people. And those people who we shut up innocently want revenge and come to the United States and killed innocent Americans. You see what I'm talking about, people? So I don't want to hear. I really don't want to hear about, thank you for your service and let's thank them for their sacrifice. They never asked to be sacrificed. They never asked to be sacrificial lambs. They, they wanted to go to work and come home safely. That's what they wanted. So to anybody that watched Politics Done Right this morning on KPFT who complained about, well, you didn't do that, uh, that 
window dressing thing and saying, oh, I am so sorry that happened. I don't have to tell anybody I didn't want that to happen. I don't have to tell anybody I am so sorry that happened. But I can tell everybody I understand why that happened. And it wasn't the fault of those innocent people there, but it was the fault of a lot of plutocrats who forced our government into policies that created that revolving door, that cycle of violence. So that's my little rant for the day that I had not expected to say at all. So let me read some of your comments before I get into the program proper. Uh, let's see, let's see. Let Whoa, that's a lot. All right, let's go ahead. Uh, Eric says, 9-11 is not tiring thing, just like World War II should always be remembered and never allowed to be repeated. Yeah, World War II should never be repeated, just like we shouldn't have dropped the nuclear bombs in World War II. So there's a lot of things that shouldn't be repeated. You know, we talk about, we're concerned about other countries using the nuclear weapons on other human beings. Let's remember, we are the only country that has ever used the atomic bomb on human beings. So as we remember World War II, we should also remember the culmination of World War II that we brought. We just said, ah, to hell with it. We are going to finish this stuff. And we killed hundreds of thousands with two nuclear bombs. We have to look at everything in its totality. Michael Rodney says, New Yorker here. I watched the second Lord come down from 30 blocks away. I'm tired of talking about 9-11 or nation change to a surveillance state afterwards. That's what I wanted to point out as well, Michael Rodney. Thank you for doing so. Uh, Michael Rodney says, corruption is the core of our political problems. True, Eric Hayes says, we are making things worse via policy nowadays. No, we make things worse because of our policy. Our policies, our, our, our foreign policy has changed very little. Doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat in office. It rarely changes because it is run by our plutocracy. Our plutocracy tells us where we need to invade, how much we need to invest in countries, how much we need to dominate other countries. You have to learn that, but you don't learn that over here in the news that we get. Eric Hayes says, we're making things... No, I mean, uh, Rodney Yeown says, if anything, it's definitely gotten worse, much worse. Lee Grant says, remember how George Bush told us that Islam was a religion of peace? I do remember that. That was one very good thing that George W. Bush did. He was right to do that because it was necessary. Of course, they were flying uh, the Bin Laden family out of the United States as a favor as well. Oh, uh, Paul Fleming says, one terrorist at cause our country to another, carry on another country that has nothing to do with 9-11. I feel bad for all those people who died on earth that I will never forget uh, where I was on that day. Our country still has blood on its hands. Eric Hay says, but we don't police anything now, just uh, our own citizen. You, you know, there's some truth to what you just said there, Eric. Uh, Michael Rodney says, Patriot Act, AUMF, Invasion of Iraq. Uh, on lies, yep, we went to the wrong uh, way afterwards. Actually, that was planned. We were going to use any excuse. Any terrorist uh, attack that occurred, we were going to go into Iraq on that premise. Uh, Paul Fleming says, uh, one terrorist act on a country. Oh, I read that one already. Bridge MCP says, I'm one that believes fully it was an inside job. Won't say why, but I uh, have inside info. And like Michael, the smell of the dead were overwhelming. I was too close. I didn't realize that, Bridge. Uh, Michael Rodney says, Paul, we wasted $6 trillion into our incursion in the Middle East. We stabilized, we destabilized religion, created million of refugees. The invasion of Iraq was our nation's worst foreign policy adversaries. Think about it, if we had invested that into healthcare instead of instead of these ridiculous wars into healthcare. 
Uh, Maywood says, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Maywood. Eric Hayes says, Egberto, but wasn't the church helping Noriega? No, Noriega went to the church to simply hide because it was it was the grounds of the Vatican. That's why he went to the Papa Nuncio in Panama. Okay, Bridge MCP says, I mean, Eric, it was not terrorists from the outside of our country. Uh, Rodney Yum says, oh my, you are, you are so effing right. But whenever someone being up were labeled as a non-American. I'm not concerned about anybody labeling me as a non-American. I chose America. I am a naturalized American citizen who chose America. And I feel no different than a born American because the only American that has a right here, even though somebody tried to dispute that, that, oh, well, the indigenous people came over the Bering Sea. Well, if they came over the Bering Sea, guess what? They came here first. So that that's it. All right, let's see what else we got here. Michael Rodney says, replying, I don't attribute incompetence of what uh, uh, what some see as malice. When uh, when then President Bush was told what happened, he uh, he froze for seven minutes. They had no clue. Of course not. Uh, let's see. Paul Fleming says they got visas to work and go to school here. Yes, they did. Uh, Bridge MCP says. It was Brothers Security Company who closed the towers a week prior and no bomb dogs were allowed. It was planned demolition. Okay, I don't I don't quite, I'm not going to get into that one. Rodney Young says exactly, but wasn't the entire country based on war? I mean, just think about it. That's exactly right. Everything that we did was under arms and that's why we are such an arm-driven country. We just love to kill. We love to maim. Ask the indigenous people who, were, who, who marched on the Trail of Tears. Ask indigenous people who... Uh, had Black Hill as their that was their territory until gold was found and well the treaty was no longer valid because you found gold Indian people we are going to take it back those treaties meant absolutely nothing all right we got also uh para ver, para ver. I'm going to scroll down a bit uh, I'm scrolling down a bit Daniel says well if Mexicans want to come and kill Americans Biden has made the gold enmity attainable. All right, that is such a silly statement, my friend. I have, to, I hate to say that. Uh, Tom C says 9/11 also marks another tragedy. 50 years ago, in 1973, U.S. government supported a military coup d'état in Chile that resulted in thousands of political execution under the dictator Augusto Pinochet. That is also true, and we have to learn these things. The problem, uh, brother Tom, is that many of us don't know our own history. We don't know our own history and what we've done. So they can say just about anything, right? Uh, let's see what else we have. Egberto got two minutes. General Wesley Clark said we had planned uh, plans to invade seven nations in and around the Middle East. I believe that. I'll talk about that after. I don't have it right now because we got a lot of videos to show. Um, Daniel says, okay, Egberto, do you support the billions we are sending to Ukraine? After all, that money could be sent on healthcare. Yes, I agree with you there. Uh, let's continue. Uh, C-Sex says, Daniel Ledo sounds like you're trying to use logic with Gilberto. You know that doesn't work, actually. I think they reverse. Stop looking in the mirror, Mike C-Sex. Stop looking in the mirror, my friend. All right, let's see Eric Hayes. All right, let's go to the first video. This one was brought to me by um, Tom C Tom Sarnik. This, this uh, video is courtesy of Tom Sarnik. I found it so compelling, I had to go ahead and play it right away so tom thank you so kindly for uh bringing this one to my attention and here we go one of the things that not not related but 
to talking about you were talking about the cost of things going up and uh, the uh, the problem with our healthcare system so it, dealing with just ordinary problems that people have from day to day or going to the doctor or going to the hospital or whatever that, what we're experiencing right now and this is scary to us as we get older is that especially in Florida but maybe everywhere is that the uh, the nursing homes and the, this so-called assisted living—it's it's really a nightmare situation because it's mm-hmm. all for it's all for profit. Lane's brother down in Florida is in a assisted living home, and he's got Parkinson's disease, and he's struggling. Uh, he can't walk, so he needs what they call assisted transfer, which is right. t- taking him out of bed, putting him in a wheelchair, taking him to the bathroom, a shower, etc. They're balking now. They were doing it for a while, and he's paying ten thousand dollars a month to stay in this place. What? And ten thousand a yeah. month? It's supposed to be like one of these, you know, high class things. He wanted to go there because it was near his home, and they do very little to help him. They don't even clean the room. It's a mess, and because we were down there, and now they're trying to throw him out because it's they want him to pay even more. They, ten thousand a month? Yes, ten thousand a month. Do you and realize so, most of that is profit? I know, and because you know we saw other places that are a lot less. These places they they want to do the least amount of possible for the amount of money that they make. So as soon as you get into yeah. a situation where you need help, out the door, you know, next yeah. they they just throw you out. And if you have to go to the hospital, which he did, <laughs> your room might be occupied when you try to get back. So it's really a a, a disaster and we're we're struggling her brothers other brothers down there and he's he doesn't really know what to do. We don't know what to do. We might bring him up to Michigan. It may it may be that we'll have to do that. It might be better here than down there. This is outrageous. Let's repeat this. For you have your wife's uh, brother, brother in a nursing home. Yeah. They're paying north of $10,000 a month for right. a room and right. also uh, three meals a day. Right. $10,000 a month. And they're balking because now he has Parkinson's disease and yeah. he has to be taken to the bathroom. Right. Most yeah, of well, that money goes for profits. That's our system. Yeah. Yeah. And we were we were down there uh, a couple months ago or three months ago, and we wanted to see what the situation was like. And uh, he seemed to be in good spirits. There were there is a minimal amount of activities, which is OK. He doesn't really care about uh, socializing too much. But the problem was that the people there, uh, they just seem to be kind of walking around. And I'm talking about the people that are supposed to be helping the Right. They, they, they really don't help. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're doing whatever is the minimum and the supervision is very, very, very minimal. So you're kind of on your own. And this is what scares me about our whole healthcare system as we get older is it's, it's even the hospitals and the doctors, they just want to see healthy people. They just want you in and out. And if you get really sick or you need help, you know, good luck to you. In the old days, those places used to be owned. They were smaller and they were owned by local groups and local churches. They were part of the community. And now those things are all bought and they're owned by big business somewhere. And all they want is the bottom line. And they've done things like they take take that $10,000 and they hide it in a different investment accounts the 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 property not related to the service that they're providing yeah and it's all it's all bells and whistles you you go in a place like this and it's you know they got the marbled and and, wallpapered and everything looks you know real fancy and but then when you 
dig deeper into the care that are getting, it's very minimal. It's just like these people are yeah. just part of the, the part of the furniture and they just move them around and mm-hmm. throw them out the door when they're, they're not as useful as or make as much money for them as they did before. The so number, the number is one person, one person, one room, three right. meals a day, $10,000 a month. That should tell you everything. Uh, wow, that is that I is. I worked home health care. Let me let me just tell you, I, I played the wrong video, but I was going to play that one after anyway because they're they're actually uh, sort of on a similar subject. But when when uh, we had her ask Egberto anything on Saturday, and uh, it turned out that uh, that he gave that story, Tom gave that story. I could not. It was just astounding to me. $10,000 a month. Because like I told them, you know, my wife's mother, when she got the stroke, we were wondering if that is the kind of stuff where we were going to have to have her. And we were thinking all kinds of things. Maybe she would have had to come here and, I mean, and uh, and be taken care of here. And then, I mean, it's what what we have in this country is a a, a fraud, what we have in this country is a healthcare system that says we, after you reach to that stage in your life, we then take everything that you have accumulated over time. Because as Tom would tell you, uh, while you still have assets, you have to be in a private room, a private, a private uh, care. And when you run out of money, then you get into the, the government rated system. But by then you have to be broke. You have to lose all your assets. So talk about leaving something back for your family. And for those who say, well, go ahead and get and get insurance. Again, Tom explained what that really, really means. Now, Tom also sent me a very important video that I want to play here about a traveling nurse. I want you guys to check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. This is another important stuff that tells you the dire straits that we are in as a society right now. The healthcare system is in shambles and the people who know it best are the nurses who work with people day in and day out. You know, the older nurses, etc. you know, they just think the system has to stay that way. But I mean, with social media and many other ways of getting information out, it is great to have these young people now engaged as nurses that are doing what they're supposed to do. Here we have Lex Hinckley, uh, a 27-year-old nurse based out of San Diego, California. She is doing her job. She is, is pointing out the deficiencies in our healthcare system, and she is completely on point. Uh, this one of our, uh, our PDR Posse uh, members brought this to us. I want you guys to listen to this. Thank you so kindly for uh, uh, for, for this one here, Tom uh, Sarnik, because we couldn't or we have to get these people's, these folks that are actually making a difference, we got to get their faces out there. And she's doing a darn good job of doing it all on her own, but let's do it all for her as well. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. It is virtually impossible to be a ethical healthcare worker in this extremely unethical healthcare system. The amount of times that I've had to discharge patients back to situations where I knew they weren't going to be able to take care of themselves, but I had no other options, is truly too high to even give a number to. 
if my career as a healthcare worker has done anything to my worldview or life, it has simply radicalized me further than anyone could believe. But more so than anything else, I know in my heart that there is no way, shape, or form that we improve our society as a whole without completely dismantling for-profit healthcare. I'm going to share with you guys a story that is so beyond disgusting and yet completely unsurprising, and I have seen varying levels of this happen at every single hospital I have worked at. I've been a nurse for four years. I've worked in seven states. It is happening everywhere, and if you think your hospital is different, you're wrong. Recently, and I mean as of December, hospitals in Louisville, Kentucky came under fire for leaving patients outside on sidewalks. They do this in front of shelters. They will drop patients off in front of shelters just like this. But sometimes they don't even take them to the shelter. They literally leave them right outside the hospital. This specific patient was left in this condition in 36 degree weather. The whistleblower who brought this to the media was a female employee presumably a healthcare worker at this hospital and she said she sees this a lot this reporter said so i started watching and on december 16th at 7 p.m 35 degrees outside i recorded three security guards surrounding an elderly woman with a walker and slowly escorting her out of the emergency room in order to understand what could potentially lead to a situation like this we need to know two things one the united states has a law called mtala which basically says that Healthcare workers in emergency rooms and hospitals have to, at the very least, stabilize patients, meaning make sure they're not actively dying before discharging them. The second thing you need to understand is that when you defund social programs, it all ends up in the ER. When you defund senior care, when you defund psychiatric care, when you defund shelters, whether it's homeless shelters, woman shelters, when you defund the safety nets that our society needs to prevent people from beginning a crisis downward spiral, they end up in the ER. And simply put, ER workers and hospital workers are already at their wit's end. We cannot act as a catch-all for every single issue in society, and yet we are. Here we are doing it. And at the very same time, treating people like literal garbage should never happen. Should never happen, and yet I understand what caused that situation to occur. Because I'm sure that in a red state like, a red state like Kentucky, those social programs are even, even worse funded than in the states that I've worked in. So these people, and by these people, I mean patients, healthcare workers, and their bosses have no f options. Meanwhile, the executives of that hospital are probably f out on a trip in the Caribbean on their seventh yacht. The only way to fix this, the only way to fix situations as unethical and disgusting as this from happening is to fund solutions. We need to fund proper safety nets for our society. In this country, if you lose your job, you lose your health insurance, you potentially lose all of your income, which means you're not going to be able to pay rent. Well, then what happens if you get sick? Do you see what I'm saying? We don't have safety nets for our poor in this country. We have a greased chute. And at the very bottom of that greased chute of poverty is a trip to your local emergency room because everything ends up in the ER.
And then we have nowhere to place people. We have no way to help people. And so people in that position get frustrated because they feel like they can't do anything and they're being expected to have the answers for a very up system. They're having to answer for all of these executives, these corporate executives who have privately funded their own bank accounts instead of publicly funding our communities. So while it is disgusting and inexcusable for any healthcare worker to treat a human being like that, I am telling you, society, you and me right now, we're leveling with each other. The only way to avoid that happening is to fund social programs. We have to fund elder care. We have to fund psychiatric care. We have to actually develop systems to help unhoused people. Look at what the mayor of Detroit has done. There are options. There are solutions for these problems, but they cost money. They cost money. And we as a society have said that we're a-okay with 400 people having 70% of the nation's wealth while our community members get treated like this. They get treated like this. Lex Hinckley is not only right on the nursing side, she's also right on the healthcare side, on the social program side. She points out that if we continue, 400 people in this country owns more than half the country. They didn't earn that. It, th what they have is exactly what's causing the problems in this country. What they have is pretty much legally stolen. And Lex Hinckley, a 27-year-old, exposes one area. We need so many more doing what she is doing. Because you know what? While a lot of the folks out there thinks there's no other way or there's no way out, these younger folks or millennials or Gen Zs, they know, they know that they have to take the bull by the horns and get done what needs to get done. We spend a lot of time... Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right, folks, look. I, I have a, another video that I want to show you. This one is, uh, as you know, and, and, and this should have all of us very concerned, and that is what Elon Musk has done in, uh, with his service. If you want to know why I say over and over again, there are certain there are certain services, there are certain uh, parts of our infrastructure that belongs outside of the private sector. This is why. Here we go. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Elon Musk admits that Walter Isaacson's biography on him stating that he cut off the Starlink services that Ukrainian drones were using to communicate as they launch an attack on Russia is true. A billionaire intervened unilaterally to support America's enemy. Secretary of State Tony Blinken's timidity to object or criticize Musk is a perfect example of why certain critical parts of our society must not be left to corporations in the private sector as they have no loyalty to person or country, but to their bottom line and their prejudices. Listen as CNN's Jake Taffer gives Blinken every opportunity to condemn Musk. It is clear he is scared of the billionaire, even as his action bordered on treason. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk uh, has recently confirmed a report that's in Walter Isaacson's new biography of Musk that last year Musk blocked access to his Starlink satellite network in Crimea 
in order to disrupt a major Ukrainian attack on the Russian Navy there. In other words, Musk effectively sabotaged uh, a military operation by Ukraine, a U.S. ally, against Russia, an aggressor country that invaded a U.S. ally. Should there be repercussions for that? Jake, I can't speak to a specific episode. Here's what I can tell you. Starlink has been a vital tool for the Ukrainians to be able to communicate with each other, and particularly uh, for the military uh, to communicate in their effort to defend all of Ukraine's territory. It remains so, and I would expect it to to continue uh, to be critical to their efforts. So what we would uh, hope and expect is that that technology will remain fully available to the Ukrainians. It is vital to what they're doing. I don't know that you can't speak to it. You won't speak to it. Musk says he was reportedly afraid that Russia would retaliate with nuclear weapons. Musk says that's based on his private discussions he had with senior Russian officials. Are you concerned that Musk is apparently conducting his own diplomatic outreach to the Russian government? Really, none of this concerns you? Jake, I can't speak to uh, conversations that may or may not have happened. I don't know. Um, I'm focused on the fact that the technology itself, Starlink, has been really important to the Ukrainians. It remains so. And uh, it it should continue to be part of what they're able to call on to be able to communicate with themselves and, again, to have the military uh, be able to to communicate. Um, Throughout this uh, Russian aggression, uh, you know, we we ourselves have always had to factor in uh, what uh, Russia may do in response to any given thing that we or others do or the Ukrainians do. Um, and, and we have. Uh, but what's so critical now is that uh, Ukraine has had real success over the past year. I was uh, just in Ukraine, as you know. Um, the last time I was there was almost exactly a year ago. In that year, uh, from the last time I was there till this week, the Ukrainians have uh, retaken more than 50 percent of the territory seized by Russia since February of 2022. They're now engaged in a critical counteroffensive, and we're doing everything we can to maximize our support for them, along with many other countries, so that they can be successful. Starlink is an important part of, uh, of their success, and as I said, we expect that it will continue to be so. It sounds like Starlink's so important the U.S. government doesn't want to risk offending a capricious billionaire uh, who did some things that I think in another situation the U.S. government might want to say something about. You know, it's interesting because America likes to give uh, these billionaires kudos as if they are the best thing since apple pie, as if they are geniuses. What they are are geniuses in capitalism. Geniuses is using everybody else's skills, everybody else's abilities, make it theirs and multiplies on it. You know, Daily Coast had a story uh, on, on this particular subject that I loved. And this is how he started to talk about Musk. He said the following, Elon Musk is neither an engineering nor business genius. He didn't found Tesla. He didn't design the motors or the batteries or the cars. He did found space exploration, more familiarly known as SpaceX. But again, he never set his hand to an engineering design, much much less a wrench. What Musk did do was 
recognized that both the automotive and space launch industries were hugely stale, completely populated by people whose policies and technology were relics of the glory days of the long past, and that a determined and lucky run of these targets just might kick their asses. And the reality, I want you to understand what he's saying there. He's saying that the the other guys in the private sector as well, you know, the Boeings and all these old guys that built the Apollo, that built the Saturn and built all these other guys, that they just went stale. Supposedly, the private sector is efficient. Supposedly, the private sector is always looking for the next best thing. But when you are getting free money from the government, when these corporations are getting welfare and not getting anything for creating anything new, what you get is stagnation. And that is what Elon Musk took advantage of. No matter what people think of Musk's uh, uh, failures at self-driving or the post-apocalyptic design of the extremely late-to-the-party Cybertruck, the truth is that Tesla now holds a position in the automotive industry that its century-plus-old competitors can only envy. Over at SpaceX, Musk has a near monopoly in an industry that others only starting to understand. This week, we got a glimpse of what that means, and that glimpse looked like Musk being able to single-handedly determine who lives or who dies. Again, look at what he did in, where again? In Ukraine, where he stopped the Ukrainians from getting rid of Russian ships that were launching missiles to kill Ukrainians, which means that single-handedly, Musk was responsible for the murder, for the deaths of many Ukrainians, many Ukrainians. I want to go further to, to, to explain what he's saying here. He says, last week, we learned that Musk personally intervened to cut off communications to areas in Ukraine to thwart an attack that was intended to sink Russian warships docked off of occupied Crimea. That attack could have played a significant role in determining the outcome of the war. On Friday, Musk admitted that he took direct action to prevent communications in the area of the attack, which uh, reportedly left Ukrainian drone ships floating helplessly. Soon, some of these ships washed ashore near the Russian fleet and were studied by Russian authorities eager to block future attacks. The Russian Black Sea Fleet has fired hypersonic missiles into civilian structures across Ukraine, resulting in some of the most horrific war crimes of Russia's unprovoked illegal invasion. Those attacks continue today due to the decisions of one man, a billionaire named Elon Musk. Musk pretends that by preventing Ukraine from using the communications gear they had mostly purchased, that he was refusing to play a role on military attack, but he played a role. He chose sides. He chose to protect the Russian warships because he claims he believed Russian propaganda about a nuclear threat. Musk chose to put his own opinion over not only the strategy, but the lives of Ukrainians. They are still paying for this decision in blood, for his decision in blood. Perhaps most astonishingly, just two months after Musk decided to pull the plug on the attack, SpaceX announced the Star Shield service. 
service, which it advertises as featuring additional high assurance cryptographic capability to host, cl- to, to host classified payloads and process data securely, meeting the most demanding government requirements. So here he is saying, hey, we are going to make sure that Starlink can serve the needs of the government by giving them the security that they need. But it's still controlled by Musk. Folks, when we talk about there are certain services, uh, certain services and uh, that that do not belong inside of the private sector, these are the things we're t- kind of talking about. When I talk about a food, I, I wrote a book. It's called uh, "As I See It: Class Warfare: The Only Resort to Right Wing Doom." I pointed out a lot of features within our economic system that do not that does not belong in the private sector because the corporations use it to control us. Let's give an example: the food supply. By having corporations being able to create plants that can generate seeds or not generate seeds, have now caused farmers not to be able to bank many of their seeds, but having to go back to corporations every year to get the seeds that they want to plant right again they own the patents and if your pollen blows into another place it's suddenly you have to pay the corporations because you are now growing their product the same apply to many patents for for drugs etc these things do not belong in the private sector now we see a clear example where one person a billionaire because he controls communication which nobody should control up in space right Because he controls that, he can determine if he's going to allow the signal to allow a government who is who is defending themselves against a violent, another violent government. He's deciding, I am not going to allow you to go ahead and use these services to do what you need to get done. Communications, he's just proven things that I've said before. Communications do not belong in the private sector. Certain forms of energy uh, uh, distribution, etc., does not belong in the private sector. Healthcare does not belong in the private sector because these are things that we must have. These are the things that we need. And by keeping these things or having these things in the private sector, we're given the private sector, the corporations, veto power over the things that we need. Not only veto power, but extortive power over the things that we need. We give them the ability to blackmail us as citizens of countries because they control it. It is time now. First of all, Musk uh, Musk's proves, I think, clearly proves what he has done with, uh, with Starlink, that Starlink cannot be controlled by the private sector. People may say, but he innovated it. He didn't innovate it. All these technologies were developed at NASA and other places and refined in these different companies. Musk is doing nothing new or gallant or nothing new or, 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 or effective that no other organization cannot do. He's just a person who was able to take advantage of the old dogs who are not doing the work that they, they got so used to sucking on the government's you-know-what that they didn't perform. Well, he has shown that in his performance and his evil, he is a danger. He's a clear and present danger, not only to, the, to, the, to America, but also to the world. Absolutely so. Clear and present danger to the world, not just America, but the world. Okay, we're coming close to the end of the program. We only got like eight minutes. I got one more video, and this one is great to see. 
when you have an interviewer who has intellect, an interviewer who does your homework. I want you to check this one out and then we'll take it on the other side. Very, very important how this guy really handled Vivek. Vivek met his match. Vivek met his match. Vivek Ramaswamy is your standard charlatan. He speaks with a certain tonality, with the expectation that he's going to overwhelm you with his wordiology, right? He's going to overwhelm you by having answers and just uh, one after the other continuing to fight. Well, what he forgot is that there are, in fact, uh, a, a guy who wrote a book on doing these kinds of interviews for people like Vivek. And his name is Media San. And Media San, uh, somehow Vivek believed he was going to go on to Media San's show and make mincemeat out of him. Instead, the converse occurred. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. But this is important. The fast-talking Ramaswamy, who Chris Christie famously said sounds like chat GPT, always appears unbothered by his stream of contradictions and falsehoods, never really gets nailed down long enough to be caught in them. But until today, Ramaswamy had not gone up against one interviewer in particular, one who is built for just this sort of situation. MSNBC's own Mehdi Hassan. In a retrospect, probably should have kept it that way. So, Mehdi, I've made this really easy for everybody. And I did this yeah. in the early weeks of the campaign. Yeah. I released 20 years of tax returns. Yes, you something did. Something that no presidential candidate, let alone somebody who's successful in business, has done. I challenge yes, Democrats and Republicans alike, and including the Biden them. family, to do it. Exactly. We have 2009 the fact and of the 2010. Matter is, you know what I would advise every... Hold on, you Every 24-year-old should take $50,000. 2009 yep. and 2010, you made $750,000. You had the money to pay for law school. You didn't need a Soros affirmative action scholarship that you now yeah, criticize. I mean, none of this is worthy, but if you think it is, let's get to the detail. That was well, actually I, the I, first big piece You say you're anti-affirmative action. Was, well, you took a scholarship for immigrants I'm anti-affirmative action. So why did you take a scholarship so which, for the children which of immigrants? Which falsehood would you like me to address? The financial one or the or the one about my views on affirmative did, action? Because I can go in whichever not, order did you you'd like. Seven hundred and fifty thousand piece of it. Not at, not at the time that I had applied for the scholarship yes, you did. that fall. Yes, you did. That December. Yes, you did. On December, this is, this I, is awkward for you because you me, did. Just, <laughs> you, you're you're I think the best interviewer in American media oh, you're too kind, Chris. At, at that at that kind of thing. You really are. You're you're phenomenal at it. Um, the what is the Vivek Ramaswamy method? What what's been sort of amazing to me is like I feel like he's set some sort of Olympian record of glibness. Just like everything is just like, well, I would simply do this. This is so easy. It's like everything yeah. is easy. Everything's obvious. Like and it's like, well, no, not everything's that obvious. What what was your takeaway from 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 going toe to toe with him? Uh, the takeaway I had is that there are two big issues with Ramaswamy. One is, what is his qualification to be president of the United States? Fair and the other question. is, can we, trust, can we trust anything he says? And those were the two themes I stuck to. He was a little irked by that. He did the kind of, oh, these are gotchas. Why can't we talk about substance? But my point is, why, why would I want to discuss the details of your peace plan for Ukraine <laughs> before we first establish whether you should be president, right? Like anyone can say, I've got a plan for Ukraine. You go on the internet right now, 100 people have opinions on Ukraine. The issue is, why this guy? What's he going to do about it? How can we trust him? And I think, you know, what I tried to do, I asked him about, you know, he used to criticize Trump. And now he doesn't because he probably wants to be Trump's vice president. So I put that to him. And, you know, the Soros stuff you just played. This is a man who attacks George Soros. He took a scholarship from the Soros family, from Soros's brother, an affirmative action scholarship, which he claims to hate. And then he said, I didn't have the money for it. And I challenged him. He said, I never said that. Some other thing he does, Chris. 
He just denies things that are on tape. I want to play that that exchange about the because he had tweeted after January 6th again. I don't know if the, the, the tweet itself was pandering at the time or what he really thought. I mean, who knows where the line is, right? I, my suspicion is that he tweeted it because he thought it, but we'll see, uh, about what, what Trump did be, was, was abhorrent. And you had an exchange over that. Take, take a listen. Yes, I want you to answer my question, Vivek. Three Many. times I've asked it. That what did Trump do and, and, that was and, downright abhorrent? It's a yes. simple question. It's your words. It's on screen. I think what did he fact, do that was downright I abhorrent? I believe that failing to unite this country falls short of what a true leader ought to do. That is why I'm in this race, is to do things differently than any prior president has done them. That's the hard truth, okay? And that's what now made the him reality a is loser and a the media yes, and the Mehdi Hassan did exactly right. He did, he, he kept him off balance because when you're lying, it is dependent for you to keep the equivalencies and the balances in check. And when somebody continuously to ch continues to chip away at your fallacies, it takes the soil from underneath you. Watch how Hassan did that and listen to the commentary that went along with it. Because I tell you, that is what it's going to take for certain folks to understand the dangers of guys like uh, like Ramaswamy. Absolutely so, folks. Absolutely so. Anyway, folks, uh, I got a lot of commentary that I'll go ahead and read after the program. Look, I thank you guys for being here. Please remember to support the show. Um, which I'm trying to pull that up right now. Please go to, uh, for those that are listening on podcasts, I'll, I'll say the words out, politicsunright.com slash support. politicsunright.com slash support is how you can help support this program to make sure that we can keep doing what we do. It's a lot of work, and I know you all know that. I know that's why many of you are our great supporters. Michael Rudnan, thank you so kindly for having been here. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, anyway, you can go to politicsandright.com slash support. I'm about to put that into the into the chat right now, politicsandright.com slash support, has all the different ways in which you can support this program and make sure we are successful. Uh, thank you, Breach MCP, for that wonderful super chat. We cannot, I repeat, without great, great listeners like you who continue to make sure we can keep this up, we can't do it. It is your doing. Uh, so, folks, get, you know, follow, follow Breach. Let's have a super chat. I want to see what's the biggest super chat I'll ever get. Anyway, so go ahead. Thank you, Bridge. You are wonderful. You're beautiful as usual. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, go to politicsandright.com slash support uh, for all the different ways you can support us. Or you can just go ahead and hit this, the, this, this donate button on the video or do a super chat. Also, you can go support us by uh, linking or getting a paid copy of our newsletter. Uh, that's at politicsunright.com slash newsletter. Again, that is politicsunright.com slash newsletter. We would be extraordinarily thankful for all of you who say, you know what? I think I want to give Politics Unright a coffee a month. That is all it is. Uh, and what you're really doing, again, you, you get a chance to read every single one of the books that I publish, both the ones that I've already published and the ones that I have in the pipeline to be published. Right now, I have two of them on, on Substack. I have to transfer three more of my five books to Substack, and I'm, I'm in the process of doing that. Slowly, it takes a lot of time, but I'm doing that. So if you subscribe to our 
uh, our Substack, politicsandright.com slash newsletter. All of the books that, that I write, you read them in Substack for free. And not only the books that I've already written, but all the new books. That is my commitment for those of you who decide. I am going to support Egberto Willis and Politics Done Right by being a subscriber to his Substack, which is at politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter. Wow. Daniel says, I know you need money. I'm sending you a form to apply for funding from Kim. He's very generous to his fellow socialists. <laughs> Bridge is probably going to be upset that I read that. But Bridge, I, I want folks to understand that I love everybody. And when he, when he does that, it's okay. It's okay. All right, folks, don't forget. I'm going to put that link to the support one more time in the, in the chat. Politicsandright.com slash support. And one more time, I'm going to put the newsletter in there. Politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Please support us however you can. My name is Egberto Willis. I want to thank you so kindly, all of you, for listening to the program. I couldn't do this without you. You all are my, what again? Heroes. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.